right, here we are. Wait. All right, let me do that again. I, I forget how sensitive noise is. Jumped in too hard. <laughs> Jumped in too hard. <laughs> the adrenaline is going. Pumping. That was a great opening theme song, right? Yeah, that's a slam dunk. That's it a doesn't, slam dunk. That's a slam dunk into the intro. That's a Dwayne Wade fadeaway at no, the end of the fourth quarter. No, man, we have to pace it out. Take us into overtime. Screen Heat Miami, the very first podcast brought to you here live at the Chemical Studios. I'm here with my partner, Kevin, the co-host for this amazing new show that you're about to listen to. We're very excited. Super excited. This first interview. Yes. This first interview uh, was done uh, by our good friend Kevin at the Miami Media and Film Market, uh, or MMFM, which just wrapped up its ninth anniversary back in June. And it was was an industry-wide star-studded affair. Yes, it was. We're excited to go into 10 of MMFM and this is a good launch pad for it. This is a great launch pad for it because now it's not just us sitting at a bar talking about how great it was and all the cool things these people said. We actually recorded what they said. And you get to hear it firsthand. You get to hear it firsthand. And what better way to kick that off than with our friends from across the pond? Right? That's right, Mr. Adrian Wooten. Mr. Adrian Wooten. Uh, if you don't know who Adrian is, he is the uh, chief executive of the British Film Commission and Film London. Uh, he goes into a lot of detail as to how that started and how they kind of all interrelate to each other in terms of promoting their local industry, but as well as being part of sort of the global machinery of what Hollywood and content has become. And there's a lot that goes on in Britain. A lot of shows that are shot there, mm. both episodic and feature films and a lot of films and episodic shows that people would not know shoot over there i would say some of the ones that people know would be game of thrones obviously the crown but star wars just about every movie has an imprint that's right the entire franchise the entire franchise shot a good chunk of it in the UK, so it's uh, it's a pretty special place. It's uh, it's considered usually amongst the top three production hubs globally for the industry. Uh, a lot of that uh, has to do not only with the creative talents over there, but with the work of organizations and uh, uh, public and private organizations like the British Film Commission and uh, the BFI and all those great organizations that Adrian's been involved with over the years to help nurture and facilitate local and creative talent while also having the tools necessary to woo the big boys, the big guns, the big industry types into the community. And there's a big cross promotion, actually, between the United States and the UK in terms of production. Right. And that was really interesting to hear how Mr. Wooten extolled the connection with the UK and the US and how that works and how it's evolved over the years. Right. It's um it's a pretty close relationship and it's become even closer as the marketplace has become more global. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. And talking about our little market and, and how we were able to land such as, I guess, a prolific and uh, 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 sort of the 
probably the top public figure in all of the UK in terms of the industry. Uh, you know, that was uh, credit obviously goes to the MMFM and to particularly uh, our partner, Patty Arias, uh, who went over to London and, and pitched the idea of, of coming to our little boutique market. We're going to have her on in a future episode to talk about sort of the genesis of that, sort of the origin story of what we're about to hear. And you can't forget our co-sponsor, Cinevision and Kajik Multimedia. Cinevision. Did I say that right? That was good. Cinevision? We'll take that. Can I say it with the Latin flair since we're in Miami? Yeah, please. Cinevision. <laughs> Man, you are Latin. So. It sounds like the intro to a new <laughs> Telemundo telenovela or something, right? <laughs> Esta noche en Cinevision. <laughs> yeah, I think that that's one way to go about it. <laughs> But it sounds good. Yeah, Cinemazon and Kajik Multimedia. That's right. So we're here presenting this amazing podcast today uh, with this really, really, really talented gentleman uh, from across the pond. You know what I like when British folks speaks is that they just automatically sound more believable. Does that make sense? <laughs> like, if you just go into British right now, everything you say sounds like, oh, that has to be true. I you guess know, there is an authority to it. What I'm thinking, Kevin, is that, you know, all of this really has to do with the fact that I woke up one day and decided that the film industry was the greatest thing since sliced bread. And lo and behold, it was only because I'm explaining it to you in a way that sounds totally legit. <laughs> now I have to go get some sliced bread. Thank you, man. Not only have I made you fall in love with cinema in general, I've also made you hungry for bread. <laughs> Bread, cinema, Mr. Wooten. Before we jump into the interview, there's just one more thing I wanted to go over. Can you tell our audience exactly what the film commissioner of London does and also what Mr. Wooten does in terms of the UK? Well, he does a pretty good job of explaining it, but essentially, you know, a, a film commissioner, I think the day to day job, uh, uh, it's pretty much standard, more or less around the world now, in terms of, uh, again, wooing in bigger productions, uh, as well as cultivating and nurturing your local industry and your local talent. Uh, And then there's the more sort of nuts and bolts or logistic parts of the office, which is, you know, everything from uh, location scouting, uh, a database of, of interesting places to shoot, uh, of local, not only creative talents, but technical talents, local producers becoming sort of like a hub of information for the industry, as well as, you know, the idea of, of pulling permits, because in a lot of these places, especially when you're shooting on, on local property or county or city property, uh, you need someone to kind of... Um, give you the okay to do that, you know, legally. You know, I know on the, the micro indie side, sometimes, you know, we call it guerrilla filmmaking. We call it stealing locations. Stealing locations, stealing shots, you know, but uh, a film commissioner's office will help you legitimize that, you know. And and I think what's important to note for, especially for, let's say, the emerging filmmakers and the more indie filmmakers, is just how flexible some of these offices have become. So you don't have to be Spielberg, you don't have to be Star Wars or The Crown, you know, to call your local film commissioner's office and say, hey, look, you know, I'm this tiny movie, uh, you know, we have a, a razor thin budget, but this is the type of thing that we're trying to do. You know, uh, we don't have a lot of money. How do we do it? Yeah. And I think what's great about Mr. Wooten is he's so accessible. You know, he his position is one that is so far reaching and has done so much for the industry. But he really is uh you know, very open ended and, you know, easy to talk to. So, you know, I found that to be, you know, one of the best things in terms of understanding and being able to connect yeah. with that 
part of the industry. But what's also interesting about Mr. Wooten is that he does that for London, but also he serves, you know, in that capacity for all of the UK. UK. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, talking about Game of Thrones that has had a huge hub up in Northern Ireland, you know, all the great things that they're shooting over in Wales and Scotland, you know, he's kind of charged with with the totality of all that, you know, and I think that's fairly unique. Uh, I don't think most commissioners have that much of a broad scope of job titles. Yeah. Is there an American Uh, film commissioner? All of America? No, I don't think we'd have a U.S. film commissioner. I mean, we have a county (laughs) film commissioner here in Miami. Sandy Latterman is doing a great job all across Miami-Dade County. Uh, But again, that doesn't, wouldn't even apply to the whole state. Although, you know, I think the point is to start to build those relationships throughout the region. Yeah, uh, and and see how sort of the interconnectivity uh, and 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 forming what I like to call a creative cluster mm-hmm. is sort of what drives that international business into your community. Obviously, there are a lot of other things at play nowadays, whether they're tax incentives, um, you know, there there are a lot of uh, financial logistical questions. You know, how film friendly your region is. Uh, they're not only their talent base, but their crew base as well. Uh, so I think all of those things start to kind of come into play when a major studio or an independent producer is looking for the perfect place to set their next production. Yeah. And this is a great segue into exactly what the podcast is going to cover mm-hmm. because the it, it's not just the film industry. It's not just what was formerly called the television industry, but now is really the content industry because it's episodic. The mobile phone is the most watched screen right. as of a year and a half, two years ago. It's laptops. It's you know your iPads it's you know whatever screen you can watch something on but also we're gonna have a foray into music which is a major part of the experience and sound you know how do you you know add sound effects how do you uh, add Foley visual effects which arguably 90% to 95% of productions have some type of visual effects in it uh so it's the wide range that we're going to be covering and we're going to have you know people from oscar winning film producers to emmy award winning music producers to you know the list goes on and on some of the biggest names in visual effects uh, writers some of the biggest writers so the podcast is going to cover you know, the full depth of the film, media and entertainment industry. We are going to dip our toes into now what's called, uh, you know, the augmented reality, the virtual reality uh, and pushing the further boundaries of the industry. So we're really, really excited. Yes. Yeah. And I just thought it was going to be like a new brand of suntan lotion. But uh, that, well, you know, we are in Miami, so (laughs) we might do some on the beach. I was getting there. Yeah. And obviously, you know, we we wanted to make basically also showcase, you know, sort of what Miami's, you know, uh, places in terms of the global industry. You know, what what position do we currently have? What can we have in the future? You know, what better? practices can we learn from some of our colleagues, including those from the UK, from LA, from New York, uh, from some of the other bigger sort of production hubs? Yeah, from around the world. From around the world. Africa. Africa, India. We have our good friend Prashant. 
that's going to be yeah, coming I think on. What is he? He's about our fourth or fourth or fifth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So we have folks from all over the world and, and it truly has become a global industry. And I think naturally what Miami has is that it is, I think, one of the most interesting and unique melting pots in America today. And I don't know if I would call it a melting pot. Some people say, well, it's more like a tossed salad than a melting <laughs> pot in Miami. You know, uh, toss salad. I don't know. Well, you know, I'm not trying to give you a Chris Rock joke. <laughs> what, what I am trying to you do already is, gave it. Is, is, <laughs> it wasn't intentional. Okay. <laughs> um, it was something that I just I wanted to bring up because I think yeah. what's unique about Miami is that that. It doesn't seem like there is a quick sort of assimilation. Uh, a lot mm-hmm. of cultures come here and tend, especially since we have so many sort of first generation, uh, that that kind of retains their original culture. At, but there is some sort of mind meld that happens in Miami where where there's this kind of subtle connectivity between all the cultures and all the people and all the groups here. You know, whether you're a Cuban from Hialeah or whether you're a Haitian from Little Haiti or whether, you know, whatever, you know, a European that just bought a summer home in the beach a German a German a Russian a Russian with an no African ties. yeah African Africans yeah yeah so there, there's all sorts of interesting people across the Americas and the world that seem to call Miami home at least on a part-time basis yeah and that's why you know we can have an Adrian Wooten you know that's why we can have a Prashant Shaw that's why we can have you know the list goes on and on of different nationalities and different uh, cultures right. that actually come and work here play here of course right so we hope they work more here let's let's try to figure that part out we're figuring it out right now we're getting on this podcast on this podcast there you go so uh without further ado uh my interview with adrian wooten is one of the most interesting interviews i've done in my career so i'd like to give you this interview with mr adrian wooten Hello, my name's Adrian Wooten, and I'm the Chief Executive of uh, Film London and the British Film Commission, and I'm delighted to be here at the Miami uh, Media and Film Market. Thank you so much for doing this. My pleasure. I've been very much looking forward to it. Um, I'm going to tap your brain, Okay. and I'm going to have the knowledge pour into the sound of this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) What I do right now is I run um, the British Film Commission and I run Film London. Um, The British Film Commission is the UK agency that is charged with um, bringing as much exciting film and television uh, production into the UK as possible and working with all our friends and partners on the ground um, in the nations and the regions, in England, Scotland, Wales uh, and Northern Ireland. Um, to uh, all kind of come together and uh, actually sustain and develop this fantastic business uh, that we have. And I also uh, run Film London, and Film London um, is the commission for our fantastic city um, that provides practical help on the ground but it also does training and supports young filmmakers um, we, we, we commission short films and low budget uh, films we we have a, a cinema network um, a, a, a association of cinemas we have an archive network so pretty much film London anything to do in film 
in London, we're involved in it one way or another. Um, so those are the two things that I I principally do as my job. Um, and I, you know, I do a lot of lectures and I, I curate film programmes for film festivals and talk at universities as well. So we definitely want to get the real background. We want the real story. But something just came to mind. And this is something that came up on... Um, can you please tell us where we're at right now? Yeah. yeah, we're at the Miami Media and Film Market. I'm here because uh, a partnership and a relationship was developed between the wonderful uh, organisers of the market in Miami. Uh, I hadn't been here before. I had no relationship with the market, but I, very much because I think the market sees itself as international, as reaching out to the world, as developing new friendships and new relationships. They actually came to see me in London, and they came to see me in London a few years ago and said, we really want to work together. We really want to... See how we can develop the the British and kind of Miami relationship, the London and Miami relationship, and so I came to uh, the market, and that really kind of kicked things off, and we started developing partnerships. Um, as we've just been talking about, I, we brought a whole bunch of. Um, Miami creatives uh, into London to, to attend this massive conference and see the studios and facilities of the UK and, and hear about our tax incentives. That just happened at the end of last year. Um, and we're working on various initiatives together to kind of mutually support each other's uh, film and television work. So on that panel, there was a lot of conversation about how film has transformed the film world, the movie world. Yeah. And it really has become democratized in terms of content. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, that switch, that turning, and also about the evolution of Film London, yeah. which is probably now content London? Yeah, yeah. well, it, I mean, it, 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 yes. I mean, A, what's happened is extraordinary. I mean, the, the, the several things. I mean, one... You know, our business used to be about film, and it was heavily just based on film and film in London and, and the south of, of England. But that's changed dramatically with the streamers, with the SVODs, the, the cable companies. The emphasis has definitely gone on to, you know, a, a broader range of content and to high-end television, to episodic content, to mini-series. That's where the real growth element of our business and, and, and the big kind of streaming giants have come into the UK and started working with British creative talent, with British infrastructure, with British locations. And so we've had this huge influx and, and um, expansion of Netflix and Apple and Amazon and Hulu, all working, and as well as HBO, um, all working in the UK. And not just working in London, um, they've got bases in London and headquarters in London, but they're actually working across the UK. So you suddenly see, you know, um, television shows and and um, bases developing in Wales, in Scotland, in Northern Ireland. Um, all of this stuff is is happening, and it's created this extraordinary, exciting um, expansion uh, across the whole of um, the UK. And and now we can offer a, a much bigger choice to people about where they want to base themselves, what they want to do, 
and those different nations and regions of the UK have also not only uh, you know do we have a national uh, financial incentive scheme the tax credit system um, for film television animation and games but also those different um, areas in the nations and regions of the UK have also developed their own additional financial incentives on top of the tax credit so that they can offer filmmakers television production companies um, additional support if they go and shoot in Scotland Wales Northern Ireland um, etc so it, it's it's changed the whole landscape I mean I can honestly say this is the most exciting time I've been in you know I've been in this business for more than 25 years and I've never known so much work so much creativity so many conversations that I have every day with people wanting to make things in the UK wanting to work with our creative talent work with our writers work with our directors shoot in different parts of the country use our visual effects it's it's and and more and more creative people wanting to base themselves in the UK you see you can see it you can see it when I have conversations with people setting up new funds new investment funds I see agents you know creative talent agents you know opening new offices in London because their talent is here or they want to access the talent that's here so so it's it's a really dynamic, um, really dynamic and, and uh, extraordinarily creative situation in the UK now. So I just want to talk a bit about you. Yeah. And find out about your background. How did you get into the industry? Well, it was it was very interesting. I, I you know, I I studied film uh, at college, um, but actually, you know, one of the best pieces of advice I got from um, one of my lecturers was he said, "Well, you know, you're going to come down, back and do some more studying, but you should go and work in a cinema." I I I'd done some journalism. I was studying at, at university. I'd written some articles, but my lecturer said, you need to get a job, you need to get a job in the cinema. And this guy, wonderful guy, I, I went and spoke to the local cinema near where I lived, where I'd grown up, and he gave me a job. There was no money to start with, but then, you know, he he found some money, and I was his assistant, and he got me... I, I learned everything. I, you know, the, I did the box office, I was an usher, I was ripping the tickets, I learned how to project in the old days of 35mm projection. And he... He also sort of threw me in really at the deep end because he went to the Cannes Film Festival and literally before he went to the Cannes Film Festival, he said, here's the schedule for the cinema. These, these are all black, these weeks here. I want you to ring up all the distributors and I want you to book all the films in the next month's programme while I'm in Cannes. Don't screw it up. Bye. And he left me terrified as this young guy to run the cinema and to actually program the cinema and book the films in the cinema and and that was kind of my start really and then I I I worked in more cinemas and then I got to run a cinema myself I then built a cinema I I I was asked to and I built a cinema um, raised money to build the cinema still there it's called Broadway in Nottingham in the Midlands of England I was there just the other weekend and I Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and 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 I sort of went on from there. Really, I built Broadway, and I I created a film festival, um, and and I wanted to create. I was interested in I still am a crime thriller film festival, and I was very lucky because I created this film festival called Shots in the Dark, and 
we did the very first one we did the British premiere of Silence of the Lambs as the opening night of that festival which generated all this national publicity and then the following year I'd, I'd met him I'd met him in Cannes and the following year I persuaded Quentin Tarantino to come to the festival and we did the British premiere of Pulp Fiction at the festival so we got huge attention okay I'm going to take a departure how was that? <laughs> it was extraordinary <laughs> it was extraordinary we did it I was in, I was in Cannes with Quentin I'd seen the film being edited. I'd, I'd been, I'd visited him in LA. I'd seen the film being edited with him, and then I saw the premiere in Cannes, and he said to me, "Well, man, do you, do you want me to come to the, come with a film to Nottingham?" And I said, "Yeah." And he said, "Well, how are we going? What are we going to do?" And I said, "Well, I said let's make it a surprise. Let's make it a surprise movie." So Quentin came to the festival a couple of years in a row, actually, and and uh, we did the British premiere of Pulp Fiction as a surprise. I, I got the distributors to agree to let us show it as a surprise film where we weren't going to tell anybody the name until literally the lights went down. And I also persuaded the distributors to pay for a party for the entire audience after the screening. And everybody in the audience, and they've become collector's items, everybody in the audience got a T-shirt that said, I was at Shots in the Dark when Pulp Fiction premiered with a picture. Um, and it was just this limited edition T-shirt that every member of the audience got um, at the screening in 1994. Um, do you still have your shirt? I do. I still do have that shirt. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> after all these years. Yeah, I do. And um, and, and so, yeah, Quinn and I had a very good, you know, friendly relationship. And, and then what happened, basically, was that because of the success of... The cinema opening and Shots in the Dark. I then got invited to apply to run the National Film Theatre in London and the London Film Festival. And so, in um, so actually, in in nineteen ninety three four, I then moved to London uh, and took over running the National Film Theatre at the London Film Festival. And I worked for the British Film Institute for the next 10 years um, and obviously I you know I travelled the world I'd, I met lots and lots of filmmakers showed their work and I think because of that relationship I developed with producers and filmmakers and distributors and sales agents and production companies when they decided to set up Film London because they felt they needed an agency in London to to really champion filmmaking, to make it easier to film in London, to support young talent making films in London. I basically was called and said, "Look, do, do you want to help? Do you want to set this up? Do you want do you want to create this?" So I left the BFI, left the London Film Festival. I still, I mean, I still actually help it. I still program movies in the London Film Festival. I still work with it. But um, I left the BFI and I went to set up Film London and I, and I set up Film London in 2003 and and we've sort of carried on from there really um, and, and, and you know we started off as just a film agency. It became a film and television agency. We, we then you know worked on animation and we also now have a games interactive entertainment division. So Film London has become this bigger and bigger content agency that covers all of the creative screen industries and that's happened over the course of sort of from 2003 to to now and in between that um, we also got asked to take over the national responsibility of promoting the UK as a whole for filmmaking in the British Film Commission so all of that
that sort of happened organically over the last sort of 15 or 16 years. So I kind of feel I've got almost like the best job in in the UK, really, because, as I say, if it moves with film, I'm sort of... I get to get involved with it. I get to support it and help it. And I still, you know, I still talk about movies. I still I still do lectures about, you know, I did one here last night about the Oscars. I, You know, I, I, I still talk about the history of movies and filmmakers as well as all the stuff I do with, with Film London and uh, the the British Film Commission. So, so yeah, it, it, I mean, it started for me... I, I was very lucky. I, I think... It started for me because I developed relationships with the talent. I developed relationships with filmmakers. I think they trusted me. They trusted me because I cared about their work. I, they saw I admired their work and I supported them. I wanted to find ways of showcasing them. I spent a lot of time on stage at festivals with filmmakers, with producers, with writers, with actors. And I think developing that network and that relationship of trust was the heart of it. And they thought, you know, this guy's okay. He, he cares about our work. He cares about what we do. He respects what we do. And I think that made that made all the difference in terms of my career. So we're going to talk about the dragon in the room. Just ended Game of Thrones. Yeah, it's a co-production. Yeah, but a lot of it shoots over there. Yeah, absolutely. Can you talk a little bit about that? Of course, and I can. How those both sides happen, and you know. Well, the thing is that Game of Thrones. I think HBO. You know, HBO wanted. They wanted to shoot the show. Um, in a European context. They wanted it to be, I think, because of the historical, the kind of historical epic um, nature of it, I think they felt they needed locations and a base that was... Um, that had access to amazing locations and castles and and history and and particular historic locations. They wanted all of that. And they were casting around the world to decide, you know, and around Europe as to where to go and um, that would be an easy reach of them using locations in Iceland or, you know, other different places. Um... And they came and talked to the UK. They came and talked to the British Film Commission. They, and and they, they really were attracted by Northern Ireland and how Northern Ireland could become a base of it. And I have to give it to my colleagues at Northern Ireland Screen. They saw this as a fantastic opportunity. They saw this could change the whole face of Northern Ireland in terms of everything, really, from filmmaking, but also from tourism to, to promote Northern Ireland in a completely different way. They got away from all the troubles, all the history of the past, and, and looked towards a new future. And actually, you know, the other thing that, that, that cemented Game of Thrones staying in Northern Ireland and having a long-term investment in, in Northern Ireland and the UK was also the fact that we were able to develop the tax credits and develop the new television tax credit, which um, provided us with an additional competitive advantage. And frankly, they loved Northern Ireland. They loved the fact that it's a e- very easy reach of London. You know, they can access talent in London. They can access all kinds of infrastructure in London. But they could build, essentially, they could take over a facility. Sorry, they could take over a facility and build um, 
build studios, take over uh, take over spaces that had been used to build ships. The Titanic was built in Northern Ireland. They took over those facilities and converted those o- old industrial facilities to the studios that became the Game of Thrones studios. So they had a studio base. Then And they thought, fantastic, we can use all these wonderful Northern Ireland locations, the cliffs, the, 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 the cliffs, the rocks, the sea, the sand, and they've got castles. And if we need other castles, we can come into the UK for those castles. We can, we can use talent from there. And also, it's a, it's a very easy dropping-off place. If we want to film in Iceland for, you know, snow and ice, we want to film in Croatia for the heat and landscape of Croatia, again, only a kind of, you know, two-hour flight very easy to radiate around to these other locations but base themselves in Northern Ireland and it tra- it has, it's transformed Northern Ireland I mean it brought you know hundreds of millions of dollars into Northern Ireland, created a whole new tourism industry one of the, it built a completely new crew base there's been an awful lot of investment between Northern Ireland uh, ourselves and HBO into talent, into into training young people and crews. There's been incredible investment in skills and training, um, and they've built more and more facilities um, in Northern Ireland. And even though Games of Thrones, Game of Thrones, the, the original series is finishing, as everyone knows, the pre-production is right going on right now for the new prequel series. So Game of Thrones is staying in Northern Ireland. So, I mean, and this is really interesting. You know, the decision was made early on. Yeah, it was. And you were in on it. Well, yeah, we were. The British Film Commission was. And, and, and you know, Northern Ireland were, were really the powerhouses of this. They they wanted that show. Good. And, and we backed them up and supported them. And then when it came to the television tax credit, the, the, the British Film Commission was instrumental in that um, because we could see that it would help secure Game of Thrones for... Northern Ireland, but also we knew it would draw more business, more television mm-hmm. business from the US and around the world into the UK if we had a television tax credit with an incentive that was as good as our film incentive. And that was the motivation. In fact, we came over to the US and talked to all the television companies and said, what would it take for you to spend more money in the UK? And they said, well, if you give us a television tax credit, we love your infrastructure, we love your crews, we love your actors, we love your writers... But what we need is an incentive that's like the film incentive. If you give us a television incentive that's like the film incentive, we're going to spend billions of dollars in the UK. And they have. So I just want to talk about another. This is another case study really quick on Netflix show. Yeah. Uh, uh, Black, Black Mirror. Black Mirror. Yeah. Black Mirror. Yeah. And it's one of my favorite shows. Yeah. Yeah, British actors, American actors. Yeah, and, and br- talent on both sides. Yeah, talents on both sides, and the same. That's that's true. That's true of obviously Game of Thrones. That's true of, of, of a number of HBO. Um, have had a big investment in the UK, but Netflix, Netflix are now massively established in the UK are one of our great exciting uh, partners they have an awful lot of staff in the UK they've recruited an awful lot of people uh, UK people as well as having American talent there uh, there's literally hundreds of staff in, in the UK now um, that, that Netflix have, have uh, recruited and they have a huge amount of shows Black Mirror is, is one of the most famous ones it's using um 
You know, it's using British talent, British acting talent, US talent coming together. It's using the visual effects and, and post-production of uh, the UK. And, you know, you've got Black Mirror, which is Netflix, and then on, you know... Essentially across town, um, and and just just on the outskirts of London, you've got the Crown, you know, and the Crown is Netflix funded, one of the most expensive high production shows in the world, along with Game of Thrones, and that's all being shot in Elstree, just you know, uh, in, in outside in the Greater London area, where you know Buckingham Palace and and all the sets are in Elstree Studios and the Crown um, you know we're, we're in the middle of pre-production for season four so you know Netflix we have a big relationship with they are very good partners they really love the UK and are spending a lot of time and creative energy developing whole relationships with our creative talent and making more and more shows with us and I think it's really interesting you know both shows are hugely popular in the States yes, yeah absolutely I mean that's the thing I think that the UK's proved to be very good at. I mean, London's got to do it, but the whole of the UK is that we can, we can, uh, with the talent that we have, everything from the visual effects and post-production people, animators, the the crew, the actors, the writers, directors, we can deliver global content for these platforms. You know, that's what we're good at. They want shows that may be rooted in British culture. They might not. They might be English language shows, but they want those shows to appeal to the world. And, and we have become a place where you can make global content. That's what the most important thing I say, is that you can come and, and the world can come to the UK to make content for the world. Um, and this is, I'm not, I know I'm, I'm pushing it, I'm pushing it, but this global conversation, how important is it to have that outlook about global content and how your content plays across the world. I think it's absolutely critical now. I think that the thing is, of course, you want culturally specific material that's particular to your community, to your um, your country, your region, your nation, however you want to cut that. Of course you do. But I absolutely believe that when you look at how we consume content and the way younger people, much younger than me, consume content on their, their mobiles, their phones, their computers, um, they want... The world wants accessible content. They, you know, we, the eyeballs of the world want accessible content, and they, and, and I think you can only be in the conversation as a writer, as a producer, um, as a director, if you aren't afraid. You know, you have to embrace the world, and I think the really dangerous thing is. You know, it can be culturally specific. It can be a personal. It, it, it can be it has to be authentic. It has to be real. But I think that if you're not looking at thinking whether people in the U.S., whether people, whether it's in Miami or L.A. or Canada or Germany or Mexico, if you're not thinking, is there an audience? Does that is that all? Can I make that audience? care about what I'm doing, you're not in the game. You're just not in the game. Because that's because Netflix don't want to talk to you. You know, Amazon won't want to talk to you. None of these people want to talk to you because they are making content for the world. And they want the best talent to produce that content and they want that talent to produce that content based on their own talent, their own experience. 
but they don't want parochial content. They don't want domestic content. They want content that people are going to go, wow, that's what I want to see. And, 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 and I think we've become very good at that. We've become a place which is inclusive. You know, we're cosmopolitan, we're inclusive, and we're going, we're opening our arms. So in, in that, um, I just want to really quick. Yeah. Some of the shows, films that have shot there. Maybe people yeah. would not know. Yeah. Oh no. Well, I mean, the thing is, it's extraordinary. I mean, whether it, you know, you. you I, I mean, obviously, we've touched on the Crown and and, and Black Mirror, um, and and Game of Thrones, but I mean, the, the fact is, you know, we've currently got you know the huge show, The Golden Compass, which is shooting in Wales. We've got the sci-fi television Warner Brothers Horizon show uh, Krypton currently filmed, which is absolutely massive in the Marvel DC universe. Sorry, the DC universe um, filming uh, in Northern Ireland. We. Have have the huge, huge Outlander show, you know, which has been filming all its seasons in Scotland. Um, the the period drama that people might be familiar with, Young Victoria, has been shooting in um, in in Yorkshire. Um, I mean, the, the list sort of goes, frankly, kind of goes on and on and on. And if you, you know, that's all the television side. And then if I say to you, and people will. Um, People will uh, kind of be surprised about this, but, you know, okay, all the Star Wars movies, all of them are shooting in the UK, every one. Obviously the Harry Potters, they might be set in New York, or that, but they're all being shot in Leavesden in England, just on near Watford on the outskirts of London. Um, Mission Impossible 5 and 6, Men in Black, the latest Spider-Man film, um, the... Uh, Name the Marvel movies, the Avengers movies, the last Avengers movie. Where was it? John? Aladdin, Dumbo, all the Disney movies. Uh, these are all happening now. They've either just happened or they're happening. And of course, we've got Bond 25 shooting as we speak. Um, but no, Marvel, Disney, uh, Lucasfilm, um, you know, Universal, Paramount, Warner Brothers um, are shooting those huge franchise movies on our stages at Pinewood, Shepperton, Leavesden. Um, those big places um, and we have all the high-end television I've mentioned as well so it's a really kind of extraordinarily it's like a it's like a it's like a tidal wave you know of content in our direction and those companies there's American talent in those companies in those films but there's a huge amount if you look at those films and where they were shot what the visual effects companies they're using, what the actors, you know, you look at the Avengers and go, okay, well, I'm, yeah, we know we've got, you know, him and him and him. But then you look at all the rest of the cast, and it's British. You know, you look at the Star Wars cast, they're British. Y the people who are writing and directing these films and shows, so much of it is British talent. Um, and that's what's really extraordinary and exciting for me, is that we are... We are producing not only, you know, as I'm talking global content, we are also producing the biggest film franchises for the world and we're back. with the US. That TV. was amazing. That was. Did you did you hear that Tarantino thing? Tarantino. That was awesome. Mr. Booten championed his career early on. Early on. You gotta get in on the ground floor. That's the whole deal, I think. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's Such, what it's about. That's what it's all about. Passion for cinema. Not just the the technical part the financial part the celebrity part but just the love and the passion for just sitting in that dark room and watching a story unfold man that's 
There's a lot there. Yeah, he started in a small cinema. He started in a small. That's what is man. It's like he's the British cinema paradiso. Yes, I think that could be Adrian in a nutshell. Started from the bottom. Now he's here. Yeah, I think we should do a rap version of that with the with the Morricone <laughs> soundtrack in the back, and just kind of have Adrian chime in now and again. Next know. podcast. Yeah, here it comes. <laughs> here we Cinema go. Paradiso to remix. Yeah. <laughs> but that is you know apropos because. Tarantino's new film is about to come out. Yeah, talk about a passion and love affair with with the film industry in general. Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is coming out at the end of July. Uh, And that, you know, more so than I think even this story of, you know, the murders in the 60s and the whole thing, you know, with uh, with this guy that uh, that killed a few people out there. kind of crazy yeah. but but i think more than anything else uh the film was written as a love letter to old hollywood and that's what i'm expecting to see is kind of like that love and that passion for cinema and movie making and and the hollywood of yesteryear and you know that, that that's what was great about mr wooten's interview actually mm. because it did take you through that whole evolution of right. old cinema cinema that then became what Tarantino has created, which is, you know, his own classics, because he has classics. I watched Pulp Fiction last night, you yeah. know, um, to what it is now right. and the evolution moving forward. So, you know, I'm looking forward to, you know, going over to the UK, hanging out with Mr. Wooten at some of the pubs and some of the places, wow. you know, that, that that are over there and, and going to the studios over there and, you know, really expanding. And this is also, I think, a, a great moment to uh, talk about who we are, because we didn't talk about that in the intro. And I just want to uh, give an understanding of why we're doing this podcast in the first place and you know, our place in terms of the industry and also here in Miami. So in essence, who's bringing the heat to screen heat? <laughs> That's right. The heat is on. <laughs> Do not sue us, Miami. Please. We're good. We're friends. We're fans. We love you. So Sponsorships uh, are available, by the way. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> we're taking them now. Yes. <laughs> the phone lines are open. <laughs> so, Mr. Martinez. Yes. JL Martinez. I am one part of Screen Heat Miami. Uh, I am a local producer, uh, entertainment consultant, and uh, very fortunate to also be the co-founder and creative director of the Miami Media and Film Market. And you're in the middle of production right now. Or maybe towards the tail end of a feature film, right? That's right. Yeah, we have a little indie film. Uh, It's called Marcus. Uh, We'll have to bring in the director, J.R. Poli, one day and talk a little bit more about that project as it evolves. Uh, It's based on an award-winning short uh, by the same name uh, that just wrapped an incredible festival run, uh, a little bit over 12 months, uh, multiple awards and nominations. So we're really excited about the feature. Big hit at the Miami Film Festival. That's right. Part of the class of 36. You hear that, Mr. Jay LaPlante, the executive director of the Miami Film Festival? We have to have you on our podcast as well. That's right. And a little bit about myself. My name is Kevin Sharpley. I'm a writer, producer, director, and an owner of the production company Kajik Multimedia, which is a co-sponsor of this podcast. I've been at the game all of my working life which I'm not going to go into how long that working life has been, but it's been quite some time having lived here in Miami, of course, New York, Africa, Italy, and other places around this country. 
I love the industry. I eat, live, breathe, sleep the industry. And for me, having worked with a lot of the people that I could have only have dreamed to work with, Mr. Danny Glover, who narrates one of my documentaries, Michael Chiklis, Daryl Hannah, Mr. Jimmy Jean-Louis, and one of my favorite actors, <laughs> Tommy Flanagan. Tommy Flanagan. And now Mr. J.L. Martinez. That's right. Um, it's been a great ride. Hmm. And I'd like to also give another shout out to Miss Patty Arias. Oh, yes. Can't forget the other half of MMFM, my partner and co-founder, Patty Arias, who is the chief executive of the Miami Media and Film Market, uh, who's also sponsoring this uh, this this podcast. So... Again, you know, this podcast is all about, you know, what the industry is, the greater industry is, and we are very, very excited to bring the heat. Yes. Proud filmmakers, proud industry folks, and and more than anything else, proud Miamians uh, that just want to share our little sort of clog in the global wheel of what is film and entertainment in, what year are we in? 2019. (laughs) So coming up, we have Mr. Paul Brett. Ooh, teaser. Another Brit. Another Brit. Oscar winning. The King's Speech. Executive producer of The King's Speech. And, you know, many, many, many other projects. The Chef with John Favreau. Chef, part of which was shot here locally in Miami. Yeah, the John Favreau movie. I think John Leguizamo's in it as well. Uh, Sofia Vergara. Really cool, interesting cast. That was a great little film. Yes. Made a lot of money, too. Made a lot of money. Paul Brett will make sure to tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) He's the money man. (laughs) Uh, Miss Karen Hall, legendary screenwriter. Oh, yeah. Yeah, comes from a television background. Uh, She is uh, uh, apparently was the only female staff writer on the hit show MASH and was uh, fortunate enough to write the very last episode, which is still to this day one of the most watched series finales in the history of television hill street blues moonlighting all the way to the glades the glades there you go miami's own miami yeah yeah that's another local one i love it mr craig bernstein oh yeah i have a lot of personal stories with craig <laughs> tell us about it well i mean right now <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah just to tease it a little bit yeah i i did live and work in los angeles for about four years uh, and uh, the longest tenure I had out there was a little bit over three years at uh, an agency called ICM, International Creative Management, which is now known as ICM Partners. And my my boss, my direct supervisor during those majority of those uh, uh, years that I spent there was Craig Bernstein, who was a motion picture production agent. Again, now he's with UTA, but um, he, he gave me my first major shot uh, at, at a real industry job uh, out in LA and very appreciative. He's become a very good mentor of mine. Uh, and he has a lot of interesting stories as how he started in the industry in Chicago. Uh, Chicago. 
Chicago. The Windy City. I lived in Chicago as well. You lived in Chicago? I sure did. Did you have the bratwurst? What did <laughs> you like up there? I had it all. Uh, let's say Pabst Blue Ribbon, you know, is uh, one of the staples for me. Uh, so. Yeah, that reminds me more of Wisconsin. <laughs> I don't know. Well, you know, the it whole Midwest. Be. The whole Midwest. The whole Midwest. Pabst. The whole Midwest. And a brat. And room for the Cubs. <laughs> and the Bears. So what's really great about <laughs> What's really great about Mr. Burns... This is going to devolve into an SNL skit very soon if we're yeah, not Yeah, and we'll you know, have Paps, you know. Um, Paps, are you listening? Sponsorship. Um, the phone so, lines are open. <laughs> so, um, so Mr. Bernstein, what, what, what's interesting is that, you know, the whole dynamic of agencies, you mm. know, and their presence within the industry and what the agencies do for the industry. So, Mr. Bernstein, let's speak a bit about that. Huge drama with the WGA right now. We can go into more detail, but I think we'll save it for the next podcast. Uh, they're still in the midst of, of negotiating the the relationship between writers and talent agents, all to do with this idea of packaging, which is sort of a very sort of complicated uh, and nuanced part of the industry right now where... Um, you know, agents have grown so big and so powerful and represent talent across across such a broad spectrum of the industry from not only the A-list actors, but A-list directors, writers and producers that they decided at one point, let's put all that together and sell it as a package to a studio or a network. And cinematographers. Right. Production designers. Yeah. Yeah. Even below the line, which what, you know, Craig primarily does, uh, you know, you can put together basically an entire movie, uh, nuts to bolts, uh, you know, and everything in between within one agency. And there's a lot of power creatively in that, but there's also a lot of financial power in that in terms of presenting this entire package and, and how, again, complicated that is uh, when agents start to act. Because essentially, the job of packaging used to belong to producers. It still does, you know, in, in putting an entire project together uh, from the script to the producers to the filmmakers to the directors to the talent. Uh, when agencies and agents start to do that, you know, essentially, do they become producers? Are they still working in the best interest on the talent? Uh, should the talent be grateful that their agency is powerful enough to do that and sell their next project? The dynamics are changing. They are. And it's very fascinating. Like I said, I'm, I'm not going to opine one way or the other, uh, but I do think that it's a very interesting conversation. And, I, and I, I'm very interested to see how it evolves and how it's ultimately resolved. Yeah. And we'll certainly talk more about that. So with we are very, very happy that uh, our first podcast is under the belt and we are looking forward to our second podcast. We'll let you know who that's going to be. Ooh, it's a surprise. <laughs> Wait, did we already say who it was? No, we didn't say who it was. We didn't say who it Can was. Can we just tease it? It'll be another uh, MMFM speaker. Because uh, we, we recorded a lot of amazing interviews during the conference. Live, yeah. Live yeah, interviews. Live. You yeah. hear all the nooks and crannies and sounds and glasses clinking. Kevin did a fantastic job. And you know what? He used the environment and that fed the energy of the conversation, which I think is important. Yes. So thank you all very much for listening. Yes. Thank you all. Muchas gracias. There you go. Miami style. Screeny. <laughs> Miami. <laughs> And that's it. That's a wrap.